Welcome to the WP Tonic This Week in WordPress and SaaS podcast, where Jonathan Denwood interviews the leading experts in WordPress, e-learning, and online marketing to help WordPress professionals launch their own SaaS. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic This Week in WordPress and SaaS. It's episode 755. Got It's our monthly roundtable show. Got the normal panel. Got a special guest. We've got Jason with us again. He wasn't put off with the first experience, but I soon rectify that, I will. Um, we were supposed to have Jonathan World with us, but unfortunately he is like death warmed up. He did come on and have a chat with me. Being the compassionate host of this show, I gave him a ticket to leave because he looked like he was going to die on the show. And duty does not require that, listeners and viewers. Um, We've got a great selection of stories um, about WordPress, about tech in general, AI, of course. Um, We've got um, a story about, um, well, we've got got a story about automotive. We've got all sorts of stories. So um, I'm going to let Jason introduce himself. Jason, would you like to introduce yourself to the audience? Sure. Uh, I'm the founder of WP Engine. I look after strategy, data, and new projects, and I'm excited to be here. Oh, thank you, Jason. i got Heather, my friend Heather. Heather, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, I am Heather Wild-Renzi. I am the CTO of The Difference Consulting, and I'm also known as the Unicorn Whisperer. Yes, those unicorns. So um, I've got Chris. Chris, would you like to introduce yourself? Hey, I'm Chris from Lifter LMS, a learning management system for WordPress, and I have a podcast for course creators called LMS Cast. That's great. And I've got my co-host on my other regular WordPress SaaS show, Kurt. Kurt, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure thing, Jonathan. Uh, my name is Kurt Von Annen. Uh I own a company called Manana Nomas. We uh, focus on learning and membership websites, and we get everything done on time and under budget, hence the name Manana Nomas. That's great. So let's go into the first story. Um, basically, uh, a response let op- uh, response to an open letter about plugin review delays, written by Robert Rowley of Patch, Patch Stake uh, about Maker Epstein, who's um, been partly about her resigning from the plugin um, review group at wordpress.com. So, Jason, um, I've got to say to you, Jason, I thought the argument in the piece was quite bizarre, actually, but that was my response to what I got from the main gist of of the post. What was your own thoughts about it, Jason? I definitely thought that this uh, kind of flippant style of well just don't use it you don't need that is it was a uh, ludicrous i mean <laughs> i realize that some people don't use the repo i get it but the idea that you wouldn't use it when you it, it, when it's installed in a hundred million wordpress instances and it's just like no problem to just get your own distribution is is uh <laughs> it's just kind of not 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 facing reality i think now i did like the point that Look, the repo's totally free. What can you expect? I think that's actually a pretty good point. Um, and it's nice that the repo is free and that it helps with the mission of having the maximum number of people being able to participate in WordPress as developers. And so I, I understand the notion of if you have to pay to be in it, then 
so many opportunities might close and so on. Well, on can't, you, can't, you can't you have both? Well, you could have both, but, and then, but although then maybe it's a pay-to-play type of thing, and do, do you get higher in the search results if you pay and this sort of thing? But it does cost money to do, and so I wonder if something, even like a nominal fee, like five dollars a month, you know, something that's it, it is still a toll, but it's you know not not like the new Twitter API, something that's small enough that if you're serious, even a tiny bit, then this wouldn't be too much. Um, but then even something like five dollars a month could easily be a hundred grand a month in revenue, which would be enough to pay a small team to run the repository. Uh, and more reliably, and that would be good and good for them too. Um, and finally, I'd argue that it's not good that we have 60,000 plugins in the repo. Um, there's, there's some small number where it's better to have more. Um, so it's a complete and larger ecosystem. But at some point, I mean, we all know a lot of the stuff in there is either incompatible or has uh, security issues or is just duplicative in a way that's not useful where it's actually taking away from the utility of the repo to have all of them. And so what do you do about that? And how do you discern that? Okay. That I, I, of course I agree that those are difficult questions, but overall, if we had 20,000 or 10,000 plugins that were better, um, that's probably a better repo. So is there some combination of having a fifth to a 10th of the number of plugins and some kind of small way to pay that, ideally of course doesn't doesn't hamper the accessibility of it maybe there's something in there that's a good evolution yeah so chris i don't see this as a problem at all in some ways i see it's a real opportunity it's quite simple in my mind chris if you've got a paid version of the plugin you've got to pay a certain fee um and it goes into a specific section um where um it's paid, you have to pay for a plugin, and then you have a section that's free. They they pay a minimum fee, so a security check can be done and other checks on the quality of the plugin. And there you go, the problem solved to some extent. I, I don't understand why that can't be done, Chris, or am I being my normal, totally naive self, Chris? I would gladly pay. I have a free plugin. I remember when uh, we were first launching our first theme, there was about an eight-month wait time on getting the theme approved. So we decided just to launch it as a paid theme. Um, but I would, I would gladly pay. And in my interactions with the plugin review team, you know, there, it's often like, hey, we're a small team. We, we have a lot coming at us, which I totally get and understand. I think a fun thought experiment is to think about what if we put as much... Or, or an equal amount into the plugin review system as we did like the WordCamp system. That's a pretty polished, well-oiled machine. Plugins and themes are the backbone of WordPress. And, um, you know, I've had a lot of great interactions with them. And, you know, they, they do great work with limited resources, but we should pump up those resources for the benefit of all. And, and really, I know it's hard with the kind of decentralized open source um, uh, bizarre, you know, cathedral versus bizarre nature of the community there and from a leadership and a management standpoint. But I think plugin and theme and block review and all that stuff is a huge area for expansion. And if, if people, um, you know, have an opinion on it or whatever, I think it's really good for those same people to contribute, um, whether it's sponsoring WordCamps or donating time to one of the, one of the teams or whatever. So. 
but yeah, it's a, it's an area for improvement in WordPress for sure. So, Heifer, what do you think? I, I thought I actually when I read the post, I thought it was a wind up piece myself. I thought it was done done in cheek myself. But what was your impression? I mean, I think it, it all comes down to the TLDR at the end there. I mean, they're basically saying that if you want to go it alone, you have to deal with the crap that comes with it. Like that this this has to do with like, I mean, if, if you're if you want to deal with being in this repository, then you have to deal with the fact that you have to update your plugin and that people are going to come after you for it. Um I mean, this is one of the reasons why my husband like stopped being an open source contributor. Um, like he had this gr- these great ideas for um, uh, like this great repository, but then like there were just constantly people after him for like, uh, I, why aren't you updating this repository? Like you're not doing this fast enough. You're not. And he's like, but but I mean, like I gave this to the world. Like the. And finally, he just turned on like auto merge and was like, I'm done with this. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's just if you want if if you feel like you want to contribute and uh, I mean, it just comes down to people are assholes, really. <laughs> I don't know what to say to that, actually. Uh, he caught me on the hop there. So, Kirk, um do you think um, why this isn't sorted out is that um, automatic or really they think they're going to get sucked into this in a big way and they're just going to be a target and the arrows are rapidly going to start be flying towards them like supersonic cruise missiles? I would be totally out of my element to try and say what I thought Automatic was thinking. Um, if if you have a whole crew of volunteers doing the the bulk of your work, you know, from an outside looking in perspective, Jonathan, working in all these other industries and then getting acquainted with WordPress, it's kind of an amazing situation, right? It's like this whole thing is being run by volunteers and you're like, how in the world is that possible? And you think about everything else in life. If you want to go fast, you pay for the HOV, you know, thing in your car. If you want to expedite your passport, you pay the expedition fee and you get your passport quicker. You know, Um, if they had a a premium and a free ride section of the repository, maybe that would be a way to start paying some people to to run it and have some accountability in that way based on timelines. But from an outside looking in position, it's like you have volunteers run it. You got nothing to complain about. Just go with the flow and do what you can. Chill out, go with the flow. Oh, yes, that sounds fantastic. Well, there we go. Uh, uh, I think we're going to the next story. But before that, I have a couple of messages from our major sponsors of, of this show. We will be back in a few moments, folks. Are you looking for ways to make your content more engaging? Sensei LMS by Automatic is the original WordPress solution for creating and selling online courses. Sensei's new interactive blocks can be added to any WordPress page or post. For example, interactive videos let you pause videos and display quizzes, lead generation forms, surveys, and more. For a 20% off discount for the tribe, just use the code WPTONIC, all one word, when checking out and give Sensei a try today. 
Hi there folks, it's Jonathan Denwood here and I want to tell you about one of our great sponsors and that's Zolo.com. If you've got a WordPress website, a membership website, and you're looking to link it with a great financial management package, Zolo can provide this solution. So all your bookkeeping needs are done through Zolo. If you need new inbox email functionality and you don't want to pay the high charges that Google will charge you, Zolo offers a great email inbox platform. They've got over 50 apps and services that all integrate fantastic with WordPress at great value levels and they almost always offer a fully functioning free product as well. So it's just amazing value. Also, if you're a WordPress developer or agency owner, Zolo are looking for great partnerships in the WordPress space. To get all this information, all you have to do, folks, is just go over to Zolo.com and they have the products that you're looking for. Thank you so much, Zolo, for supporting WP Tonic and the Machine Membership Shows. It's much appreciated. We're coming back. The panel looks relaxed. They look... I'll soon, I'll soon change that, folks. Don't worry. Uh, um, but before that, um, also, I'd like to point out that we got some great offers from our sponsors, plus a created list of the best WordPress plugins for to use on your own site or for client websites, so you don't have to go to the depository and look at those 60,000 yourself. It's all done for you. To get this, go over to WPTonic slash... Um, deals, WP Tonic slash deals, and you find all the goodies there. What more could you ask for? A very popular page. That's what my Google Analytics is saying. So uh, um, on to the next story. Wall Street said TikTok CEO, oh, I can't pronounce his name, show CEO, whatever, Chu, has had a disaster day at Congress. Well, I have those days every day. Kirk can t- testify for that. Uh, um, so, Heather, um, what did you reckon about Mr. Chu's performance in Congress? Uh, well, it was so bad that um, Jonathan and I live in Nevada, and uh, TikTok has been banned by the Nevada government as of yesterday. Oh, yeah. Well. Um, also, Grammarly and uh, all Weiwei applications and, and devices. Um, and uh, I can't remember what the other thing, but yeah, I mean, so, I mean, it, there why, are... Why, sorry to interrupt, Heather, why Grammarly? Don't I like good uh, yeah, I'm, no, a riot, I'm a dyslexic. Uh, I be, because, uh, because Grammarly takes uh, your information and puts it on their servers. Um, so they're saying that like government data going onto uh, servers, uh, it's, it's uh, so yeah, no, I mean, this is because... Like it's opened a can of worms that uh, I don't know where it's going to stop. So because of how badly he did and how badly others are, I mean, they're they're asking questions that. Um, so I mean, I don't know. Another, I don't think this article is actually in here because it came out yesterday as well. Um, but there there was an eth- like there's a letter that went around to a thousand ethicists and AI uh, representatives. Uh, I mean, uh, experts uh, about 
uh, how fast AI is is changing. Uh, and they asked, I mean, they basically are saying it's an open letter to stop, um, slow down. Um, my husband was one of the ones that signed it because he's one of the like AI experts in the world. And um, basically they're just like, hold up. Um, the world is changing too fast. We need to actually take a step back. So yeah, I mean, this that's, that's where I am on this. So, Jason, what could go wrong with the um, Chinese Communist Party, knowing everything your kid's doing on TikTok? What could go wrong, Jason? Well, I assume that's sarcastic. <laughs> um, <laughs> never, Jason. I would never be sarcastic. Yeah, it is bad. Of course, it's bad. And now, of course, you could say, well, but is it okay to stop it? Um, does the government have a p- place to stop it? In the re, in the reverse direction, there's it's constant. I mean, China blocks most of our stuff. There's a great firewall. You can't get Google or Facebook, and maybe they're better off without Facebook. But the point is, like, it, it, clearly the precedent is yes. Um, countries can decide what kinds of things they they want. Um, we generally don't do that on the other way. Like, generally, we accept everything, and that's probably better. It's probably better that we're more permissive, but. And we certain, certainly shouldn't block them just punitively because they block us for stuff. So we're going to block their stuff. That's like elementary school. But I don't think being 100% permissive is necessarily the right policy for our government either. Like we should have rules about what's what's anyone, including our own government, is allowed to do to our citizens or what private companies are allowed to do. And we should enforce it. And so, And I do think it's okay to discriminate in that, well... An American company who is under certain regulations and laws can do X, and maybe a, con- a company who's not under, who's not a subject to that same thing, can't or needs to subject themselves to those same things. I, mean, I think that's that that's pretty reasonable. So clearly, the the laws that we have even now about privacy and stuff aren't that great. And so maybe what this is doing is calling into question the whole, the, all the policy that we have about privacy, um, whether it's China or. Google or whomever. Um, okay, so let's say TikTok is an American company just magically. So is it okay that they open the mic and listen all the time? Is that okay just because you're an American company? Like, probably not. So maybe we need a policy it, which would include this, but not just because it's from China. But it is, I think it is okay if, if, if you said, but in particular in China, the line between government and company is almost a, a non-existent. And so for a Chinese company to have data is the same thing as Chinese government to have data. And we don't want that. Like, I think that's a very reasonable thing to say. And we need, we need a clearer policy that we can apply systematically, but, and we're figuring that out now, but okay, fair enough. I think that's uh that is an okay thing to do. So Kurt, um, I was listening to Jason Cannon Careless on um, This Week in Startups. I, norm- I normally disagree with anything Jason's got to say, but uh, um, but he had a long rant about why um, TikTok should be banned tomorrow. Um, basically, you know, they could um, sell the company and those that had a stake in it would be super rich and it's very suspicious that they're very resist resistant um to that proposition um mainly because most of the owners are members of the chinese communist party uh what was your own views uh i have very little faith in anything that's big tech oriented jonathan so whether it's uh twitter facebook tiktok anyone they're all 
collecting our data and they're all sharing it with their associated governments. And even if you forced a sale at the top of the food chain, that doesn't necessarily sever those ties. I think the Twitter files that were released this year really, you know, kind of blew the lid off of the idea that there's any kind of separation between big tech and, and people that make decisions for us as a people group. So, um, as all of this stuff unwound and people just started giving away their privacy, but this is where we're at. And I don't think it matters. It doesn't matter if the Chinese have access to TikTok or not. They still have access to the data through other channels. So if they really want the stuff, they're going to get the stuff. And the idea that, you know, 150 million people supposedly spend 90 minutes a day on that, it'd be nice to make it go away just to get some of that productivity back, you know. But at the end of the day, that's how people are choosing to keep their sanity, I suppose. Or not, you know, can you imagine yeah. spending 90 minutes looking at TikTok videos? God almighty, talk about suck your brains out. So, Chris, uh, it just, you just can see it kind of something out of Dune, isn't it? Um, sorry, sorry, Chris, what, what do you reckon? Uh, you know, do you feel sorry for the Chinese Communist Party, their position? Are they in a difficult spot, Chris? I think there's a middle way, kind of like Jason's alluded to, alluded to. And I think we can actually look to examples um, from the securities and finance sector and how they're more mature. Part of this, I think, comes from uh, an emerging need for Generation X tech forward people to get government seats that are thinking about things like ethics and tech and understanding it at a deeper level, privacy, um, entrepreneurship and, and digital everything. Um, but if you look at something like Binance, which is under fire right now, there's a different Binance for the US for um, uh, as a crypto exchange platform, but there's not a different TikTok in the US. But what the uh, SEC and the CFTC does with that pl platform is they have the highly regulated version for the United States that keeps it in check with US laws and regulations. But social media doesn't really have that layer in our country, and maybe it should. Yeah, I'm amazed that it was allowed to go on federal employees' phones ever. You know, um, I can't, I can't imagine that any serious dealing with any security um, information of any sort was allowed to put it on anyway. You know, I can't imagine. You know, it's a red flag bigger than the Chinese communist normal flag, to put it that way. Uh, um, I was trying to find a better pet pond there, but I was failing. On to the next story. Oh, my God. Here we go. All right. What's the problem with all, awesome motif? Well, panel, I don't think there is a This is my position, um, panel. I don't think there is a problem, apart from bad taste. You know, but bad taste isn't... Um, I see Awesome Motive as the Sun newspaper of British journalism, you know, tabloid journalism at its worst. That's what I see Awesome Motive, you know, because they've got terrible taste and <laughs> doesn't make them. Um, I know there's certain panel, regular panel members of this Elasius panel that really don't like them and they've made that really public and I and I have upset the founder of this particular company. I am not on his Christmas list. I'm sorry, but it's got nothing to do with me. I've got nothing I've got nothing 
to do them. So I've been rambling on there, Jason, haven't I? So what you know, what was your views of this bit from Matt Medeus, what he was saying about our beloved awesome motive? Yeah, you definitely have uh, prior guests who um, who would have very strong feelings about this. So I guess that'd be fun. We've got any, got any insight why they've got such strong feelings? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I think people want WordPress to be a certain way, like the like the things in WordPress to be a certain way, and a lot of things in WordPress are not done in the normal way and. Maybe people value that more than you could say that they should or or something. But but then again, it's part of what makes WordPress special. So I don't think they're entirely wrong for that. Um, it is interesting that we call out Awesome Motive and not other companies in the WordPress space who do similar things. Although maybe those folks do call out other people. I don't really track who calls out who for what. Um, but like Blue you got better, you got better things with your time, haven't you? Yeah. But Bluehost has done this for two decades, right? They they have reviews, uh, review sites that review different hosting companies, but all the companies are Bluehost owned <laughs> properties. Um, they even will buy AdWords on the review like for the review so that, you know, um, and then they also buy separate AdWords, of course, for each brand. So as a result, like almost all the AdWords, you know, all the advertisement you see is all for the same thing, including for the review. Um, it's, it's a common practice in, uh, when you, when you have a house of brands like that, to, it's part of why to do that is that you can, you can kind of take up more space that way. Now, again, you could say that that's bad or you could, uh, but I think you either have to say, the Bluehost is bad too, in the same way, or not. Like I don't, I don't, I don't think you can pick one of them and say it's bad if AM does it, but not Bluehost. That that wouldn't make sense to me. I, I would, I, I, I hear you about around what you said of like you may not like their practices, but I mean, so what? People are different um, styles. Um, so I, like, what I thought is there is a difference between I don't like it or someone doesn't like it and it's actually illegal and they're doing it anyway and sort of getting away with it. That's a different line. And some of the things are illegal, such as the false sale stuff. That is illegal in certain states in the U.S. and in certain countries in the world. It is illegal to do that. And so, you know, and there was that other article uh, recently showing some of those tactics happening in the WordPress space and besides awesome motive, other people. And so to me, it's like, okay, now you've got a different argument because now it's not just, I don't like it. It's actually in Connecticut, it is illegal. It just hasn't bubbled up to anything someone's looked at, but it doesn't make it okay. All right. Thanks for that. Um, so Chris, uh, my, my, my only real main criticism of awesome motive is that that their practices uh, um, diminish the usability experience of utilising WordPress in general, and that has a knock-on effect on everybody else. So that's my main criticism. And some of their sales practices, personally myself, I find them distasteful, and I wouldn't do them myself. Um some you know, like Spencer, he, he, he rants on about their black hat. I don't technically I understand what black hat is, but um, it's not a crime. I'm sorry, you know, you know, it's you know because Google don't like what you're doing. That's their business, you know. I don't even I don't even agree with the term. Really, I think it's a load of rubbish. What do you reckon, Chris? 
I think companies have a right to be marketers. I think that I think the most interesting thing buried in here is uh you know, there's the marketing, content marketing style of what's known as the advertorial. It's an advertisement uh kind of disguised as an editorial or opinion piece. Uh one of my favorite uh, you know, investing in macroeconomics groups to follow. There's a company called Real Vision and their reporters do not hold any of the assets that they report on. And that's part of the deal. I think there's a journalistic integrity term for that. I'm not sure what it's called. But I think that's really at the core of all this is when you like, it's really about that kind of integrity while at the same time, People have a right to do their content marketing, their partnerships, their cross promotions, and uh, you know leverage what they can within the WordPress without kind of stepping over whatever that line is in terms of being annoying or overly aggressive. But I, at the end of the day, WP Beginner as a as a media site and an information site that has really strong SEO, I think that's really where the discussion is is really the most interesting around content created on a media site that's separate from the from the uh the product brands and i maybe jason has a thought with this with uh torque uh magazine with wp engine or whatever like how to, how to think about that but that's that's where i'm at yeah so have a you know kind of um it's kind of comparing like you i think you lived in england for a while i'm not sure actually but like, so it's comparing the uh, it's out of business now, the news of the world to the yeah. times, isn't it? You know, it's just in some ways, you know, I, I never bought the news of the world, but it had a, loads of people loved it, you know, but it wasn't the times either. So it was a disgusting piece of crap, you know, of a paper, but it had a certain audience, did it? I, I still have all of the Dodie and Diana um, front covers from from both of them uh from that week like uh, that that's on your wall have you no no they're in a they're in a uh box but like my um my boyfriend at the time he he really was like a diana fan and then when i got home like i was flying during the the car crash but anyway that's like these papers are just there's nothing like the tabloids in england but i know i see where you're going with this it's it's just like one person the the way that ads work for one person is not how the way ads work for another. And uh, the way that Awesome Motive has, has run their business, um, I mean, it it's, they're successful. They, they work. I mean, like, heck, I, I mean, I think we all probably use at least one of their products and whether it's because they're good or because their, their ad campaigns have worked on us, it's, it doesn't, I mean, six of one, six of one, half a dozen of the other. I mean, I, I mean, yes, their their practices may not be the most ethical, but if the products are good, I don't really care. Yeah, I, was, I suppose it's okay. Um, I think it's really hard to find a balance, isn't it? Because I think some of the criticism is commercial jealousy, isn't it? And some of it is well-founded and it's all mixed up in a witch's brew. What what are your own thoughts about that, Kurt? Uh, Well, much like Chris was starting to talk, you know, uh, companies have the right to market themselves. And 
you know, the market will respond accordingly. When things get way too spammy and way too weird, you know, the negative reviews and the stuff will start to to wear that back. It, it's like you could watch a Kia commercial and go, man, that's an awesome car. That's awesome. I can't believe the dude from Aerosmith just did a backspin in that thing. But if you went to a Kia dealership, you'd see a bunch of replacement engines all around the service department. Like that's not part of their marketing, right? <laughs> it's just like, hey, uh, it's not exactly what we said it was. Um, you know, it's buyer beware, you know, marketing is marketing. And when you see content from a company or from associates of that company, you kind of have to read between the lines and do some due diligence and read the reviews and compare things. And unfortunately, as new people come into WordPress, you know, they might get led down a path of something they didn't originally, you know, get as part of their original package, but they learn along the way, right? And that's why people that have been at it for a decade or more seem to have a little more skin in the game and, and can be better consultants. It's, that was very, I was very impressed with that, Kurt. That was very tactful. So, you know, I'm very impressed with that, Kurt. All right, I've been gonna... studying with Chris on how to be, how to be more um, easy with my answers. <laughs> he had his own style, actually. It wasn't Chris, but I, I can see he's been working. Uh, um, so, uh, we can, sorry, I've been sarcastic there. Uh, yeah, I just can't help it. I've been English. Heather understands. She's lived in England. So, there we go. Uh, um, Jason looks a bit puzzled, but there you go. No, he doesn't. No, you don't. No, you don't. Right. So, uh, we're going to go for our mid-break, folks. We've got some other fabulous stories. We will be back in a few moments, folks. Hey, it's Spence from LaunchFlows.com. If you've been looking for a fast and easy way to create powerful sales funnels on WordPress, then look no further than LaunchFlows. In just minutes, you can easily create instant registration, upsells, downsells, order bumps, one-click checkouts, one-time offers, custom thank you pages, and best of all, no coding is required. For as little as $50 per year, you can own and control your entire sales funnel machine with Launch Flows. Get your copy today. This podcast episode is brought to you by Lifter LMS the leading learning management system solution for WordPress. If you or your client are creating any kind of online course, training-based membership website, or any type of e-learning project, Lifter LMS is the most secure, stable, well-supported solution on the market. Go to lifterlms.com and save 20% at checkout with coupon code podcast 20 that's podcast two zero enjoy the rest of your show coming back i'm looking forward with the emails that will be sent to me by awesome motive and the twitters the direct messages that i'm going to receive i always get messages from automotive when i talk about them so there we go i will send them straight to spencer when he comes back next month uh, um, so there we go uh, um, so um, I just want to point out that we've got a fantastic Facebook group. It's under the Membership Machine Show. Um, it's got a great group of developers and people trying to build a membership website. Um, please join us. Um, you'll find the link in the show notes of this podcast and YouTube video. So let's go straight on. Um Internet Archive loses historical copyright case vows to appeal. 
This is a very, um, it's a shame Spencer's not with us, but he's off this month. He's travelling to Toronto, the Sunset Mall Centre of Canada in March. Uh, um, I'm sure he's having a really warm, enjoyable time there, but that's his business. So, um, it's so Jason, what did you reckon? I had mixed feelings about this one as well. Um, maybe you can give a quick outline what you think this story is about and then give your opinion on it, Jason. Yeah, I mean, the Internet Archive was distributing books that they have copies of um, and they have they have a agreement, they have contracts with the publishers to distribute them in a certain way that's like a library. So one-to-one loaning type of quote-unquote, even though it's digital, but with a library sort of attitude. So leaving out the details of that, that seems reasonable. During COVID, they were they decided, uh, COVID is special. Let's just go nuts and give them away and not blend and you know various things. And so the publishers just and then furthermore, after the sort of um, meat of COVID ended, uh, they just kept doing it. So the publishers say, no, we're that's copyright. We own the copyright to that, and you're not honoring the contract. So you you're you are now in violation of our uh in our our you know copyright or the you know rights to distribute and so far the the publishers have won that i think um man i mean i'm i'm never on the side of the big publishers whether it's in like the music studios or the book publishers i mean i feel like yes they do invest in artists uh and and take risks so in that sense, I, I understand, but more or less, it seems very exploitive and has been for many, many decades, maybe since the beginning of time in both of those areas. So the idea that I would defend them is 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 kind of like crazy to me, but don't they own the books? And it, why does the Internet Archive have the right to take books that they don't own and just give them to everyone? I actually have to agree with the publishers. Like, yeah, and why should the Internet Archive get to do that? I, I don't know. So oddly, I think I, I side with the publishers and say, yeah, you can't just distribute my stuff for free because you want to. Like, why, why should you be able to do that? I don't, I don't Maybe I'm misunderstanding the case. I probably am. But I, I actually, oddly, am on the side of the publisher. That was exactly, uh, yeah, because it is a long, I did spend time last night reading it, it is a very long, it's a complicated subject, you know, it's funny enough, Spencer, if he was here, being, he's not a copyright lawyer, but he has studied the subject as part of becoming a lawyer, um, so, Heather, I, after this, I felt a bit queasy, Heather, because I agree with Jason, I I, I have no idea what how they thought they were going to not lose on this, and why they're bothering to appeal I think they're on the loser myself. Oh, I'm not an expert on it. 100%. 100%. So um, they started uh, just like with uh, Gutenberg, uh, Project Gutenberg, uh, doing out of print. Um, uh, and then they started scanning books that still have copyrights attached to them. Um, and that's where the issue is. Um, they also, I don't know if you know this, have a game ROM archive. Um now, uh, I mean, me, like many uh, players, have, have probably gone to this ROM archive, which is 100% illegal. I mean, what they're doing is they're taking uh, old games that don't have um, uh, systems that people can access anymore and putting them online. However, they don't have the, the 
the rights to do so. But I mean, the game publishers are are like probably out of business or because there's there's no um, I mean, there's no one to come after them. So they're doing it, but it's still illegal. Uh, I mean, they're basically being blatant pirates. And uh, just because no one has taken them down, um, like the, the publishers have gotten together to be able, like the large publishing houses have the ability to take them down. But um, yeah, I mean, they're 100% pirating and uh, they're going to have to take them down. So, Chris, because there's been cases like classic Ulysses um, is one. The um, Joyce, um, one of his ascendants has the um, copyright and some scholars wanted access to some original documentation that's in a library or and as ascendant said no because you've written nasty things about my relative, about why he wrote this book. You're not having access to it. And I think myself, wow, that's ridiculous that somebody who's can have that power. But when it comes to this particular case, I just don't think they've got a leg to stand on. And I regret to have to say that. I have no idea why they didn't settle this all out of court in the first place. What's your own thoughts, Chris? Uh, there's a lot of interesting things here. One is just the idea of digital scarcity and what that means and how royalties work in that world. That's a important conversation. I actually think that something like NFTs and blockchain technology could be used to fix this in a way that, you know, if, you know, these assets are distributed as NFTs to digital wallets and the original creator has a like ongoing right to, you know, revenue from it or whatever, there's, there are people who are working on this problem with new tech that I think would come in handy here. Also in tech, there's the concept of using primitives where when we, uh, you know, moved online, we started using old office systems like file folders. So we have files on our computers, but at some point it starts breaking down. The primitive way of publishing uh, in the online space is just different and trying to directly copy what we were doing in the, uh, the print media world. It's, it's, you know, high time for change. And a lot of it, I think, comes down to the intent of the creator. If I'm the Grateful Dead, I want everybody to copy my music and get it out there as far as wide and not take any money except for at the live show. That's one approach. On the other end of the spectrum is the, you know, the people that want a piece of every reader's access. So I think it's really up to the creator to make sure they've got with their publisher or if they're self-published that they've got all that kind of creative commons, copyright uh, stuff figured out from the gate. So there's really a lot going on here. I don't have an answer. I'm just kind of laying out the pieces I see on this board. So Kurt, um, it's another story because it is about ownership, isn't it, Kirk, in some ways? Because there was a story I listened to yesterday about Shakespeare, um, some of the original um, writings of Shakespeare. um, Some of he wrote the original and then it was transcribed by some of his theatre group and some of the original transcripts are coming up on the open market. 
in the near future. And it's all one by one guy. And he's going to make, you know, these are one, one document, unique documents, you know, God knows. And part of me, um, well, I don't think one person should own that. I think the British government should intervene, give him a fair price and say for the national interest, um, it's going to be owned by the nation, not by, and my, the same would, I would have the same about, I think there's certain originals of the American constitution. I don't think they should be owned by individuals myself. So there is a kind of, it is not exactly black and white. Can you see where I'm going with this, Kurt? Well, I do, but then that becomes a matter of where do you draw that line, Jonathan? I mean, if I had the first ever Jaguar ever produced, does that mean it goes to the museum and is owned by the government? Or does that mean it gets to park in my garage because I was lucky enough to find it in somebody's barn and restore it? If you're um, prepared to spend all the money of time to try and keep the old Jaguar going, good luck to you. <laughs> well, you know, pre-Ford days, you know, I guess they were kind of hard to maintain, right? But um, it, it comes down to follow the money. What What is you know what what's the motivations and like what chris, what chris was saying what was the natural or the original intent of the author or the owner of the material you know as as a writer and a publisher myself i want as many people as possible to read my material but that's in hopes of me getting in another direction with with clients and community so that's my goal but it's you know like try and be napster and and give away metallica songs and see what happens well, thanks for that, Kirk. Kirk's got to leave us in the next couple of minutes. He's got a hard deadline, but thanks for that. We go on to the next story, and um, um, if Kirk's around, great. If he's not. Um, so on to the next one. Um, the age of AI has begun. This is, this is written by <laughs> Billy Gates. I call him Billy Gates, James. <laughs> Our, um, good old Billy. Um I love, I love, I'm going to let Jason open with this. I just love this line in this piece, Jason. I've been thinking a lot about AI can, can reduce some of the world's worst inequalities. Yeah, sure, Billy Gates. Yeah, you're about eliminating inequalities. That's for sure. Sorry for that, Jason, but that particular line in this puff piece. Um, Supremo puff piece really caught my eye, actually, Jason. What did you make of the uh, the faults of our great Billy Gates on AI? Well, first of all, I'm just really impressed that only one topic today is about AI. <laughs> because that's a, that's a, it shows incredible willpower. So, that's good. I mean, you can't not talk about it on a new show, but for it to be the only thing you talk about is, you know, tiresome. But it should, we should talk about it some. Um, I mean, there's so many places to go about AI. I think. In a societal scale, what's your reaction to his piece? Um, I think, I think, on a societal scale, the scary thing is how many people could be put out of work or made obsolete so quickly. 
So we've had these, we've had these, you know, changes in the past. America used to have so much more agriculture, both in the number of farms, the number of people working on farms and so forth. And like, you know, famously, some of the words we have for technological advances come from the, the, uh, uh, the late 1800s when that started changing. And then of course, really like after World War II is when it really just slid off of a cliff. And, We've had other things, industrial revolution. Of course, the internet age has changed things. Um, but for example, with self-driving cars, that's going slow enough that, uh, you know, it's not a reality yet. And, uh, there's, there's some time for some transition. It, it's always disruptive for a lot of people, but there's some time. And I think what's scary about AI is how quickly, and I think we're seeing this now. If you just look at chat GDP three and four, and I'm not a, I'm not a huge, you know, uh, oh, this is going to kill everyone now. And I'm not a dooms day predictor and um but when you see the pace at which it is changing you start saying like that that is hard to argue against that that it's not changing fast and that it's not incredibly impressive and even though well chat 4 still can't replace this like i know but look how fast it's changing like it's you can see some of this coming right so for software developers you know the the mundane things we do i mean no one was worried when the IDE could refactor one variable name for you or like extract a function out of another function. We're like, yay, a tool. This is really quite different than that. And if you're a mediocre developer, like the, the, you're, you, you are obsolete soon, if not like, I mean, you've got to see the handwriting on the wall. And yet being a developer is one of these things that's supposed to be where you make a lot of money and are very secure because the world only will have more software. And I do believe I don't believe everyone's going to be put out of work because I think when software gets easier, there's just more software. I think that's what's happened in the past as languages and frameworks and things get more powerful. We don't have fewer developers. We have more software. <laughs> so I, I, I don't, I don't think everyone gets put out of work. And, and again, I'm not trying to say that, but the people working on AI do think that. And the one way you can see that is let's not forget who does the biggest studies and things like universal income. It's open AI. They're the ones that have funded and done a lot of those studies that they, Sam says they're going to come out with those publicly soon. So maybe they will. But why is it that open AI is doing studies about universal basic income and AI? <laughs> it's because he believes that one, that, that we'll need to solve a problem that AI creates. And, um, so I don't pretend to be an expert in those things. Uh, but but the people that are expert um, are ex expecting that, and so I think we should take that seriously. Um, and uh, I, I think, and I think the pace that it happens is also a factor. If 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 ten to a hundred million people need to change jobs over the course of a century, that's still hard. But if it happens over the course of a decade or less. It's difficult to understand how that happens. So the the pace of it, I think, is a, is a very important factor in this in the uh, the um, impact of the change. Well, in some ways, before I throw it over to Heather, um, it's also class driven, isn't it? It was fine to throw in American Britain. You know, I'm I'm being quasi political here, but it's more of an observation, Jason. It was fine to ship over six million manufacturing jobs to the Far East and the consequences to what is classified I hate these terms really, Jason, blue collar workers, what the hell what the hell that really means, God knows. But it was fine to throw them on the scrap heap and have whole 
regions of American Britain decimated. Right. But now it, it looks like it's going to affect um, um, knowledge workers and white-collar workers and people that are more vocal in being um, expressing their worries and their upset about the thing. Um, so that's observation. So, Heather... Um, so I read the great words of Billy Gates last night. Um, uh, I thought one thing, his remarks about education, you know, specifically about how its ability to pass a bargy, multi-question test. Um, being a dyslexic, I, I love multi-questions, the American multi-question um, rather than essays, because it's, I've got a fab, you might be surprised, Heather, I've got a fabulous memory, uh, um, probably due to my dyslexia, because I have to memorise a lot more. Uh, um, but I was thinking, you know, this, I was thinking when I was reading this, this isn't, Billy, this isn't, this isn't a sign of the super intelligence of this technology. This is just a sign of how bad high education is in America. <laughs> how bad it is. Because, you know, if you utilise the kind of Cambridge-Oxford model where you have three people and you're interviewed and they ask you questions and they are, and after about half an hour, if you've been questioned by three experts of a subject, it becomes quite evident if you know anything about it or you're just a drifter that knows bugger all about the thing. Uh, um, isn't it more of a sign how, you know, its ability to pass these tests, more of a sign of an education system that's been in crisis for a long time? What do you reckon, Heather? I mean, I think that, I mean, everybody's points so far are important to to keep in mind. Like, I mean, and I've been talking about this for a while, like, as, like on here as well, that... Um, the people that can't adapt, people that aren't willing to adapt are going to be left behind. Um, I was in a conversation the other day where I said that, I mean, those of us that were born like near the end of the Cold War um, were able to, I, I think we're a good generation to understand what's happening because we've been adapting our whole lives to this new technology. And the people that were born before that are like have been fighting it their whole lives and the people that were born with technology just like in like as part of their lives like as in every day um have been kind of stunted in a way um like we we were thought we thought that like oh they're going to be fine because they they grew up like just attached to a phone and like they they know how to speak computer but unfortunately they don't seem to be adapting to the changes as quickly as as they should be so uh, I mean, they're just, they're not being able to get jobs. They don't seem to be able to understand like what's happening with the world. And they're just like constantly saying, woe is me, woe is me. So it's, it's a, it's a weird paradigm shift, like an actual paradigm shift, not like when people are saying paradigm shift and don't mean it and don't know what that means. Like that the world is suddenly going to be uh, like most of the jobs are going to get wiped out. And people are going to have to understand what a life of leisure actually means. I think there's going to be a lot of suicide when when people realize 
like what what is a life actually worth without work and because because most people for the last hundred years have have had their worth defined by what they do and having to suddenly decouple that um, and make you actually look inward to like who am I without like somebody else telling me what I'm supposed to do, it's going to be insane. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, like all of these studies by open AI, all of these studies, like, like all of the shift towards social good um, for the last 20 years where like, uh, like people have been trying to get you to think more about the global and more outside yourself and more about your fellow man that's really important because most people have been just focusing on like, how am I going to get through the day? If you don't have to think about that anymore, the world is going to be a very, very different place very, very soon. All right. That, that was pretty deep. Uh, all right. Fair enough. Uh, um, so Chris, um, in some ways um, I think, I really shouldn't say this because Heather's husband, um, we should have had him on the show, really, should we? Uh, um, so, uh, um, you have to ask him for next month, maybe, to come on, right? But I'm sure there's going to be another AI story for next month. Uh, um, so, Chris, um, in some ways, I think the consequence of this technology is underplayed, but in some ways, the consequence of this technology is totally overplayed a contradiction there, Chris, if ever, because in some ways it has no intelligence at all. It's just a glorified plagiarism machine, a pattern a pattern recognition system on steroids. Um, you know, it is the classical mechanical Kurt Turk. Um, not listeners and viewers, that was a machine in the 18th century that could play chess, but there was actually. It was a box and there was a person, I think it was a small person in the box who was a very good chess player. Uh, um, um, so it's it's a mirage in a way, but because it's an effective mirage, a lot of people say it doesn't really matter because it gets the end result. So what's your own thoughts, Chris, or am I babbling? I think pattern recognition is is actually a big part of intelligence. Yeah. So just throwing that out there. And then it's really, it's not just the the information regurgitation, it's the speed and the source volume. So according to the article, the human brain fires one one hundred thousandth as fast as uh, a silicon chip. But if you look across major areas like medical, legal, tax, education, when you have like the entire tax code or your the entire patient's medical history and all the other ones that came before it and it sees a pattern of disease or whatever, or uh, a lawyer, an AI lawyer that can look across, you know, the, you know, thousands and millions of court cases in an instant, that's super disruptive. and just that speed it's it's not maybe the quality is not currently what it's going to be but the speed and the access and the pattern recognition across a large data set is going to be extremely disruptive uh across all fields even education like 
when you think about personalized learning, instead of like teaching to the mass, teaching to the individual and adapting to learning styles and, um, you know, different behavior of the learner and then trying the adaptive learning that's going to happen. It's, it's, that's really disruptive to teachers. And if it can happen at an infinite scale. So it's, it is going to come super fast. It, it already is. Yeah, I would, I would definitely push back on the notion that it's just a pattern matcher and, and regurgitator. There are areas where you can see that it is just that, right? Like you're like, Oh, the, the, there you go. So you can see that like there is that, but. I think a lot of the stuff that it writes uh, hasn't been written before in that way. And what else can you say about a human? I mean, every word we're saying right now, we did not individually invent. Every one is a thing and a pattern that we know how to put together and interpret all of them, all of them. And then these ideas, like, like my ideas about AI, probably every single idea I said here, I read somewhere, some of them resonated with me for whatever reason. And sure, I slightly put it in my own words. But if I'm repeating other ideas that I happen to like in slightly different words, that's exactly what it's doing. <laughs> also, you could say it's very banal and doesn't have a personality. That's true, but they do that on purpose. Like they have, they have whole teams designed to try to make it banal and neutral because that's one of their missions at OpenAI to do that. But you can ask it to be another way and then it is. So you could also imagine like, well, okay, if you value individualism, you could just ask it to, yeah, or let it figure out its own style or let many different ones have different styles um, rather than intentionally not letting it have it, which is what they're doing. So you can't sort of blame it for being banal when that's it's being, in a sense, asked to be banal. Um, and when you ask it not to, it will it will not be anymore. And then I'll use a chess analogy because if anything is just uh, searching and pattern matching and, you know, just compu- pure computation and not the way humans think, it's chess. And, and how chess machines work and, and chess, chess bots. And uh, what's really interesting about modern chess uh, uh, and I mean, I mean, machines, modern machines, is that they have figured out new styles that human beings have never done and are teaching human beings new things. So like a new chess, like the latest chess stuff, um, a chess machine values pawns less than humans do. And versus a position, like if it can get a positional advantage and lose a pawn or two, it will take that every time. And it's something that Magnus Carlson and many others have started to do. Um, and, and you can even hear it in some of the commentary as they do stuff. They're like, okay, you know, everything we know about chess is you don't take that pawn, but the position is better. And nowadays the computers have taught us like take the pawn and people, will, people say it in that way. The computers are teaching us a new pattern in chess um, and, and we never taught it that. And you could say it's because it played many games against each other. Yes, it, it certainly does certain, certain things we, that humans can never do, like play billions of chess games against itself. Okay. Human will never learn that way. Granted, like definitely granted. It's, we're not thinking the same way. That's granted. But even in chess, which is like, I guess as banal and, and procedural as you could imagine, it's not about ideas, you know, um, Actually, there's new patterns to be found that it that the computers have found and that we're we're sort of figuring out uh, f- from there. So, I, if it, if that's true in chess, certainly it's true of these other other things where there's more space for new patterns and new thoughts to to happen. So, I'm still with you, like on the basis of it, it isn't the whole point of the generation that it's pattern matching and fine and etc. Yeah, but like when you compare, like Chris said, to what humans do. 
we, we don't match patterns and repeat ideas in slightly different ways. That's not what we're doing all the time. So like, I don't, I don't think that alone is kind of a fair way to say, so it's not intelligent or, or something like, um, there's space, I think, to still figure out like, what is intelligence and how would you know? And, 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 you know, I think there's plenty of space for that discussion, but just the fact that it's a pattern matcher to me is like, I, I feel like every once in a long while, I have an idea that's new as far as I know, <laughs> which isn't even really new, but okay. Yeah. And I'm super proud of that because it happens almost never. <laughs> so, you know. All right. Are you okay to go on to the last story panel? You got enough, right? Um, so um, our last story is the last podcast episode of the All Win podcast. The reason why I chose it um, as our last story panel is, I'll just put this to your panel. Um I listen to this podcast because I think it, um, I find it regularly very irritating. Probably some of the listeners of listening to this find this particular podcast irritating. But I think it's really important to listen to people's views that are slightly different to your own and analyze them. Um, but I found this particular podcast really, really irritating for this reason panel. And I wanted your comment on my irritation is that I think we really are in a, a gilded age point two era and maybe AI is going to make it even worse I don't know but in this podcast this panel of very privileged tech individuals seem to be suggesting that um, obviously um, in commercial real estate there's going to be there is a upcoming crisis that's quite clear to everybody um, linked to technology and people being able to work from home and not having to have to go to offices. Um, if if your loan book is um, a lot of regional banks, their loan book is commercial property. Um, um, that's a bit of a problem. They, this panel seemed to suggest on this that the US taxpayer or the average American family should um, subsidize and somehow bow out institutions. Uh, it just it just blew me away. And uh, um, so, Heather, am I ranting or am I on something? Is it possible? Because I thought it was like literally you have a group of people in Silicon Valley and in this culture that literally like the French or uh, French um, royal family and its entourage, you know, before the French revolution, they live, they live with such a bubble life. Um, they they don't realize what fire they're playing with or am I totally losing it ever? Um, so it's funny that you brought this story up because I, I started laughing. I started laughing when I saw it because um, I'm actually rereading the book, A Colossal Failure of Common Sense, about the collapse of Lehman Brothers, and it's all about how, um, like, the credit dis- default swaps and and the the REITs and and all of this, how they they leveraged, uh, like, these banks leveraged themselves to forty times their value, which just in layman's terms, that means like in order to pay off the debt that they took on, it would take until like my 276th birthday for the bank to pay it off. 
like how much debt they took. Um, so like all of this commercial real estate that is owned in the world, like the amount of of real estate that there is, like there's no one, there's no, there's no banks or anyone in the world that can actually own it. There's too much. And now because as you said, people are working from home. I mean, this is why we work doesn't make sense. Like even with with uh there's there's too much commercial real estate. Uh there's not enough um residential real estate. So even if everybody did go back to work, there's still too much commercial real estate, which is why there's ghost cities. Um, like even Dubai, like you go to Dubai and like only about one um one like 32nd of the like whole city is populated. Um, they built it hoping people would come, but there simply aren't enough people. If you go to Cairo, there's, there's entire s- sections of the city that have been built for people to move into. Um, like knowing that there's going to be a population growth, but by the time the people have been born to move into these places, the the buildings will have been crumbled away. I mean, it's it's kind of insane that there's all of this real estate that people don't need. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's a colossal problem. <laughs> um, and if you haven't read the book, a colossal failure of human sense, you totally. So, Jason, do you think a common sense? Common sense. Right, do you think that, that this particular group of individuals have any insight how badly they're coming across? Or do you think they just don't care? They've got so much money that you yeah. just don't care. I think they don't care. Right. Because this isn't the first time that they've said stupid stuff and they just don't seem to care. I mean, even when they're even when they've made predictions that are incredibly incorrect, they don't seem to care or really acknowledge it much. You know, the number of times in the past decade on on that some of them have said things like self-driving cars is two years away, and I know because I'm close personal friends with Elon, and, and like they've been saying that forever, and we're not that close to it anywhere. By the way, um, they don't acknowledge. Now that's okay. It's okay. It doesn't matter. You predict it. Okay, it's fine. Except when you just simply don't acknowledge that, and you're just like, I'm still a pundit, and I still know everything about this. I'm like, no, you're you're actually quite bad at this. The the SVB collapse. I mean, these are the people who are very loud on Twitter, yelling about all the stuff and saying all these consequences that are going to happen. And every single thing they said was incorrect. And they, they more or less, and they and others, but they, and some of the people on the podcast in particular helped precipitate that and they were wrong. They don't seem to care. Like this is an enormous consequence and they don't care. So. You know, I'm with I'm with you. Like it's irritating, and I just don't listen to it anymore because I just it's like I don't, I don't need to. Yeah, I have to switch it off, but I'll put it back on because I think it's really important to expose yourself. Obviously, if yeah. it's views that are really appalling, obviously I won't listen. Oh to yeah, it. it's it's good to hear. But it is important, and, and, and just because they're wrong sometimes doesn't mean they're wrong always. Um, I, I do th- I do agree that commercial real estate is in for trouble i agree and like what should we do and and how 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 will that unfold good question like you know so sure <laughs> you know like um but but uh their opinion on all of that i care about a lot less like there's there's other people whether it's in finance or other places where i would i would care a whole lot more what their opinions are on the topic um than these folks who just opine as with with equal um apparent confidence no matter how uh, um 
whether they should have that or not. So like, sure, I want to hear that. But from, and the experts are wrong about stuff all the time too. That's fine. But at least they have like a reason to have an opinion. (laughs) I'm interested in their opinion. Um, But yeah, the commercial real estate problem is, I I think it's got to be a problem. I mean, just the amount of real estate that we have around the world um, and the amount that it's utilized. And so how much of that are we going to renew when we can? And the answer is almost none. And surely there's a lot of companies who are, but there's a lot that aren't. Even in Austin, um, uh, just catty corner to our building is they built uh, the biggest building in Austin. The tallest building in Austin is is now there. Facebook was supposed to take all of the retail space or or commercial space or, or most of it. They've reneged on that. I don't know how the payments go in there, but the bottom line is like, see, that's... There's another one, and 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 just everywhere you look, you have this issue, and um, and you know, is it ever going to return? Is it going to return fast enough? Uh, you know, it, it, even if it returns, does it take so long? But then again, leases are very long. You know, we have seven, ten, even longer leases around the world because, like in the UK and Ireland, where we also have leases, um, it can be twenty years. We don't have a twenty-year one, but that uh, they they often are that long, and. Um, so it can take a long time for it to unwind. So how does it all end up? I don't know. That I think that's a really good topic, <laughs> but I don't care what Jason Calacanis has to say on that. <laughs> I would care what someone else has to say about it. Well, I, I think um, so, Chris. Why got any insight? Why it's the other three? Because they are they are building a lot of bad feeling around a lot of people through a position where. That there is no limit to the upside, but the downside, they want everybody to bail them out. Um, so when it comes to the upside of their activities, there's no limit. The downside of their activities, the US taxpayer, you, me, everybody else has to bail them out linked to their activity. And they don't seem or don't care, as Jason said, don't seem to care. But why do you think people engage in it. I think a couple of the panelists have political exp, um have quasar political um journeys that they're planning. Um but I just wonder, do you think it is a bubble and they, they have no insight how bad they're coming across? I think that you know Chamath, the two Davids and uh Jason, they do have good chemistry and uh, there's some diversity in there that makes for interesting discussion. It's kind of like a new version of the news, if you will. The thing is, is they're talking in probabilities, but that it sounds like absolutes. And whether they're, uh, you know, think they're, I, I'm sure they're open to the fact that they might be wrong, but maybe they're not putting the disclaimer out there. Um, in turn, I think there's a lot of nuance to that issue of the people bailing out Silicon Valley Bank as an example. And there is actually some po- good points they make around, you know, the Federal Reserve and what's what's happening in terms of, you know, hitting in the hidden in the subtext of banks moving uh, things into the hold to maturity bucket and what that how how things are kind of being papered over and how the government's bailing them out. But is it alone? Is it really the taxpayer? At the end of the day, I think that quote, may you live in interesting times. We're going to see a lot of action here. I mean, Balaji put up the bit signal, if you will, of like what could happen in the next 90 days. And, uh, you know, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, but as time goes on, 
you know, even though one could make an argument that because of dollar debasement, it's a kind of a tax on human life and life energy, kind of like Heather was talking about when it comes to, you know, our meaning ascribed to our work. What if it goes the other way and it's deflationary in the sense that we don't have to work? We've got universal basic income and it's actually, we're not getting squeezed like the actual opposite happens. So I think it's, it's actually really unclear where all this is going to end up. So to talk in absolutes about this is definitely happening or whatever, it's, it's, it's a complicated time. And, uh, yeah, I don't think those, those guys are bad. They could, they might benefit from having a, a little more diversity in the panel for, of perspective. Oh, no, I don't think, I, I don't think any of them are terrible people. They have views which I don't agree with and they have a way of expressing them which I don't I don't appreciate. But there's loads of people. There's loads of people that don't like me particularly. There's loads of people in the WordPress community don't like me. Um, but there's also loads of people that do like me. You know, you know, I can't. But when you meet me, when you meet me in person, I'm no different than when I'm on this show. So, and when I've met you, you're no different. And I've got the feeling Jason is no different. And I've got the feeling that Heather's no different because I've met Heather. You're no different in person than you are on this show. Other people are very different. They're very different when you actually meet them and discuss with them. Um, so it is what it is. I just brought it up because it's part of the tech and there is this kind of bubble culture that, that they build up about that they are the bright kids, they're the special kids, they're the kids with the knowledge. Mm. And to some extent it's right, but it's also at some extent they are in a club and you're not part of it and you're never going to be allowed to be part of it. And they get all the benefits of that club, um, but they seem not to want to take any of the other side of being part of that special club, which is the downside sometimes. That's just my observation. Well, panel, you've been very patient. I think it's been another great discussion of WordPress and tech in general. Thank you so much. We will be back next month with another great panel. We'll see you soon, folks. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening. We really do appreciate it. Why not visit the Mastermind Facebook group and also to keep up with the latest news, click wp-tonic.com forward slash newsletter. We'll see you next time.